Hebrews chapter 4. I'm beginning in verse 1. Excuse me. Beginning in verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hearing of your Word. We ask now that you would write these truths on our hearts and forever be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. These words that we read here are fathomless. We have a great high priest, not will have one day. We have him. He's ours. He belongs to us. He's passed through the heavens. He's gone to the heavenly tabernacle and made atonement for sin. He is Jesus, the Son of God. And let us hold fast our confession, our confession of him. For we do not have a high priest. We, it's not the case we have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. The message is we have a great high priest and he's a sympathetic high priest. His sympathy, his compassion for us is based on his likeness to us in every respect. When God became man, in the person of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't become half man and half God. He was and is truly God, truly man, like us in every respect except for sin. There's a false teaching. It's so prevalent that I know you've heard of it. And it regards Mary and prayers to Mary. And the idea behind it in the Roman Catholic community is that because God the Father is a little bit austere, uh, you don't really want to pray directly to Him. Jesus, although He is man, is also God, and He is the ultimate judge, as Scripture portrays Him. So you can pray to Him, but it's more preferable to pray to Mary because she is like us, and therefore go to Mary. She's very, very sympathetic and Hear this, no one can resist their mother. So pray to Mary and Mary will have a word with Jesus. And though he might not be willing to answer the prayer himself because of his mother, he will. I want to say this, prayers to Mary are an abomination to God. Here's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Mary, the real Mary, has never heard a single prayer sent from earth to heaven. She's never been troubled. She's never been communicated to by God that there's a request that you need to hear about. Uh, The Bible is very, very clear. Her peace, because she's a believer, she is saved through the work of Jesus Christ, not her own work by the person and work of Christ, and she believed in Christ. She was there at the cross. She was there at the upper room. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was one of the community. And she is a believer. And after the Gospels, do you know Mary is never mentioned uh, in any of the epistles? Paul never mentions her. Her peace remains undisturbed. She is enjoying heaven She's not hearing about the groans on planet Earth, and she's certainly not hearing the prayers of righteous believers. The Bible's very clear. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. No one prayed to Mary in Scripture. The Apostle Paul, in all of his writings, never once mentioned her. Think about that. No. 
We don't need Mary. We've got Jesus. We have the great high priest. And he is very sympathetic. Goes to the core of who our God is and what he's done for us in the person of Christ. The message of the reformers was solus Christus, Christ alone. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only mediator through whose work we are redeemed. It's not Jesus plus Mary, Jesus plus Mary and the saints. It's Jesus by himself. He's able to save. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25, as we will come to it, says he is able to save those who come to God through him. He is able. He is able. As we understand the work of Jesus, we understand who he is and what he's done, the person and the work of Christ. I said last time that I'm told that if you have two pianos in a room and a note is struck on the first piano, the same note will gently respond on the second, though no one's touching it. It's a thing. Sympathetic resonance. Christ in the incarnation became one of us. And when we as the people of God are struck, when we have our groanings, He hears it. He's touched, as the scripture says, by the feelings of our infirmities. We're here. He's there. But like the two pianos, He's struck with all that we go through. What a message. When a chord is struck in us, it resonates in Him. What a delight that is. But as we read this particular passage, there's an objection that sometimes is raised. How can he fully understand? How can he fully understand if he never sinned? If he's sinless, how can he understand me, the sinful one? Well, let's analyze that. Think about this in this realm. If you are in financial need and in need of a financial planner, who's going to be the best help to you? Someone who has applied the principles he's teaching and has done well in life, or the man who's in massive debt and lives in a car. Who's going to help you the most? Well, this guy can help me because he's failed 17 times and he can tell me all the times he's failed and I can learn from that. Well, you can, and it's better to learn from the mistakes of others than your own self. But who's going to be more help to you? Someone who knows what they're saying and has proved it. So it is. How about keeping pure in ministry? I was reading and hearing of a particular conference that was going on that was being held for the purpose of purity in ministry and the teacher was someone who had fallen in ministry 18 months before. And uh, the pastor who received this uh, conference brochure in the mail said, why would I want to go hear him? I want to learn from someone who's been decades in the ministry and hasn't fallen. What were the clues that alerted him to what was going on so he didn't fall? That's where I'm going to learn. And we can understand Jesus has never fallen into sin, though he's been tempted beyond what you and I have ever been tempted. None of us have been sent into a desert for 40 days to be tempted of the devil. But Jesus' temptation went far beyond that as a child knowing he had the power of God and some child abuses him or uh, verbally, you know, if if you've got the power of God, you could just zap him while no one's looking. And um, he was tempted. (laughs) I'm sure he was tempted. Uh, His life outside of those 40 days, he was tempted and tempted and tempted and tempted. On the cross, he was tempted by those who said, come down from the cross, save yourself, we'll believe in you. He was tempted, but... As one man said, many might have believed in him. They said if he stayed up, we, uh, if he came down, we believe in him because he stayed up. He stayed up. He stayed up. He was under trial and he stayed up. He remained faithful. The answer is obvious. We want to be taught. We want to relate to someone who has succeeded. Jesus was tempted more than any of us in ways we've never even contemplated and was victorious, ladies and gentlemen, over all sin. And that's the one who's available to us. That's who is able to help us. That's why we should come to him. Look at verse 14 and then into 15. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's not aloof. He's not unaware. 
He's certainly not unconcerned. He feels everything we feel. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. I want to read a quote from C.S. Lewis. I don't always quote him, but this is really, really good. (laughs) A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it, have been, what, what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. I think that's profound. Selah. Think about that. Moving on to verse 16. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this verse is where I'd like to focus on by launching from there to talk about what the implications of verse 16 is all about. Come to the throne of grace. Find help. In the time of need. The word there, confidence, means boldness expressed in speech. And so the message is, you may be fearful, you may think that you don't have the right to do this, but we have a high priest who's made atonement for us, and you can come boldly to the throne of grace and speak boldly. You don't need to be shy. You can come as you are in Christ and come with all the receptivity of the high priest who longs to hear from you. And obviously what's in view here is prayer. As we talk to him, as we come in boldness of speech to the throne of grace, the word prayer is not there, but the implication is obvious. That's what this is all about. But let me ask you this, as a starting point. How often are we in need? Well, theologically, we can can all be taught and say, well, I'm always in need, I'm always in need. But if we really believe that, we would pray a lot more than we do. Isn't that the truth? See, we're aware of the need for prayer in the time of great emergencies, when parents realize their child may not make it through the night as a young baby, as my parents did. They prayed earnestly, but years later, after I had been restored to full health, they didn't pray as much because it wasn't an emergency anymore. And that's where we are. See, the biblically informed person realizes their great dependence on God at all times. The more we grow in the Christian life, it's the exact opposite of how we grow in normal life. What I mean by that is, as a child grows and develops, It needs its parents, but it needs its parents less and less. They need the parents at first to tie their shoes. But normally speaking, if they develop, they can tie their shoes by the time they're 38 years old, right? Hopefully. Button their shirt. They need help when they're three. They should not need help when they're 33. And so the life in terms of normal physical development that we live, we become less and less dependent on those around us and more independent. It's the exact opposite way in the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, you realize you'll need more and more. As a young Christian, you think, I need Christ. And as you grow, you realize, I really need Christ. More and more and more. 
You see, the biblically informed person realizes that though there may not be ambulances that need to be called upon, you might need, not need to call 911 because there's no medical emergency, the biblically informed person realizes their entire body, their cell structure is held together by God. We, are, we could not be more dependent on God for our very life. The book of Acts says it. Chapter 17, verse 28. In Him we live. That would be enough. And move and have our being. You cannot raise your fist in defiance of God without God allowing your cell structure to be intact as you defy Him. That's amazing. You see, if you and I were God, we would just shut off the cell supply. We would just muddle things up, mess things up. Say, oh yeah, boom, and that's it. But God is so gracious, we call it common grace. He allows even his enemies to breathe his air and receive the rain and receive the benefits that are not deserved. In him we live and move. We can't even move without God. That's the biblically informed person. So what is prayer? Prayer is simply speaking to God. So many overcomplicate this, but it's talking to God. And it's been described as a spirit-instilled response of a loving child with his father. Not to gain favor. We don't pray to gain favor with God. The Christian prays because it's the overflow of a grace-enriched heart. I understand God saved me by his grace. Now I want to talk to him. Now I want to... Involve him in my life. He's already very involved, but I want him more involved. I want to have a personal relationship with him. Jesus, when asked by the disciples, teach us to pray, gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And I'm sure you know it. You pray it. And it gives us a model for prayer. It's not a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's a prayer he taught us to pray. Jesus had no need to say, forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive those who've sinned against us. It was not something he prayed, but it's a model prayer for us. We are sinners and are in need of prayer. Do you know the first petition in the Lord's Prayer is this, hallowed be your name. In other words, may your name, God, Father, be hallowed in the community. Let it not be trampled in the streets. Let it not be a cuss word. OMG. Let it not be that the name of Jesus is trampled in the dirt. But let your name be hallowed. What a prayer. That's the first thing we're to request of God. Hallowed, hallowed. May your name be hallowed, esteemed, rightly respected. So there's a prayer to pray. The Lord's Prayer. How about this one in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. I was thinking about this and I was reading about this. Here in the 21st century, uh, technological advances means that we're often blind to our re real dependence upon God. Yesterday, I saw that we were in need of bread at the house. And so yesterday, because I was out, I bought four loaves of bread, put three of them in the freezer. What a blessing that is. I could actually buy four at a time. There's no need to go to the market daily and purchase fresh bread. Why do I say that? For most in the world, that's an impossibility. It's only in recent years people have had refrigerators and freezers. In the ancient world, there were no such things Certainly you couldn't keep bread fresh for four days. But we live in 21st century America, and as I say, that can blind us to our daily needs. Most people in human history never had refrigerators. Never heard of GE. Never heard. And so there was a need of daily provision. So what a prayer. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because you don't have it because it's stale from the night before. Give us this day our daily bread. But in the 21st century, our daily needs are just as real, but we're often blind to it. Psalm 109, verse 4, let me quote it. 
In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. I was reading this this week, that literally that word means, the phrase at the end means, I prayer. It's hard to translate into English. It literally means, I am prayer. In other words, I am prayer personified. That should be the life of the Christian. A Christian is a prayer. A Christian is someone who prays. Martin Luther said this, As a shoemaker makes a shoe and a tailor makes a coat, so ought a Christian to pray. Prayer is the daily business of the Christian. I want to recommend a book to you by Archie Parrish. It's called A Simple Way to Pray, and it's an introduction and explanation of Martin Luther's work on prayer, uh, A Simple Way to Pray, and it was something that he wrote for his barber in Germany. He was named Peter. Peter was cutting uh, Luther's hair and said, would you teach me to pray? Often it's uh, described as the same kind of question Jesus was asked by his disciples. Peter The barber asked Martin Luther, how do I pray? And he went home, Martin Luther, and wrote this personal, very simple book for his barber, and uh, Archie Parrish has put it together. Simple way to pray. I believe there's some available back there. R.C. Sproul said of the book by Luther, no book has done more to revolutionize my personal prayer life than this little book by Martin Luther. I would recommend it for every Christian's library. End of quote. I would do the same, and I would actually serve you well if that's all I said. Get that book, read it, and sat down. That would be enough. You'd be blessed if you read Martin Luther's book on prayer. And Luther, his personal prayer life focused on three elements. He prayed through the Lord's Prayer. He prayed through the Ten Commandments. And he prayed through the Apostles' Creed. And uh, he saw in those things models for our own prayer. I would add to that, you might have heard of it elsewhere, the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. And I think this is a very good, helpful model. If you're taking notes, A-C-T-S. A means adoration, start there. C means confession, confessing our sins to God. Thanksgiving, thanking God for who He is and what He's already done. And then supplication. A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. With those four, I think I've served you well, but we've got more to say. I don't believe you can go far wrong with that approach. You'll see that framework, I think, in the Lord's Prayer for sure. And let's talk about the personal prayer life. I think one of the things we should pray for very often, daily, if possible, is for insight. Go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 2. I brought this out before, but I'd like to go there again. Proverbs chapter 2. And what we're wanting to get to is verse 5 and verse 6, which are promises from God about what He will give in terms of insight and wisdom and understanding. But verse 5 is not the start of the passage. Verse 1 is... Let's go to Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then... Notice all that comes before is is an outline of the conditions for the then. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? Verse 7 of chapter 1. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom, as we read later in Proverbs. For the Lord gives wisdom. Verse 5 again. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you're a Christian, you want to know God. You want to know Him. You want to know about Him. You want to know what pleases Him. You want to know how He operates, what His attributes are, and what He has done. And to get there, we have in these conditions four couplets. Two things mentioned and four different couplets mentioned in the verses, totaling eight. The first couple are receive and treasure. Treasure. The second 
Couplet, make your ear attentive and incline. The third, call out, raise your voice. And the fourth, seek and search. You'll notice that these are very much synonymous terms. The second word is usually an explanation of the first, and it informs us about what the first means. Receive and treasure. This is not a casual approach to the knowledge of God. This is something that should be treasured. This is treasure. If you have treasure in a family, whether it be family photos or wealth, you don't just leave it lying in the yard. You make sure it is treasured, it is kept, it is not easily plundered. Make your ear attentive and inclined, literally to bend the ear down. I'm bending my ear down. In other words, I'm submitting to what I'm about to hear. I'm going to hear from God as I read His Word, and my approach is not one of superiority, but one who is to be taught. I am bending my ear down. I'm attentive. Call out, raise your voice. You might need to do this in a place where no one can hear you, but it means literally raise your voice. Oh God, I need you. I need your truth. I want it. I want to treasure it. I'm willing to bend my ear down. I cry out for your wisdom. And lastly, seek and search. That means seek and search the treasuries of God in the, in the Word of God. And then the promise comes. Then then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. This is a prayer I've prayed since a teenager. That I might understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And when I get there, it's not because of my efforts, it's because the Lord gives. Look at verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from where? The mouth of God. That's where we get the treasure. That's where we get the wisdom. The Lord stores stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. That's where you'll find it, in the word of God. So, we pray for ourselves, and I want to ask you, do you want the promise? Is there something in, in you that says, I want to know God. I want to know him. I really want to know him. The fact that you're here Gives me that indication, but you know the state of your heart. Do I really want to know God according to who He is, not according to what I want to think about Him? Do you want the promise? Well, it's not automatic. Turn to the left to Psalm 119. I'm not going to read it all. It's the longest chapter in our Bibles. Verse 9. Got to flick through the pages just to get to that portion of Psalm 119. It's a lengthy psalm. Psalm 119, look at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. With a search. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate, think about, ponder, on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Do you see what he's doing? I can read your law, but open my eyes that I might see something. See something I haven't yet seen. Behold, wondrous things, not new things no one ever has heard about, but new things to me as I behold wondrous things out of your law. The Word of God. I'm a sojourner, sojourner on the earth. I'm a pilgrim here. This is not my home. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I've kept your testimonies. Even though princes princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. In other words, I'm bending the ear down, as Proverbs would put it. I'm inclining my ear. The Word of God, that's my counsel. 
Should you show me from your word, I'm submitting to it. The Bible is over me, not me over the Bible. You see, the truth of God cannot be a trivial pursuit, but the entire longing of our hearts. And I would say this in personal prayer. Pray prayers that God would be pleased to answer. Not, gimme, 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 my name's Jimmy. Lord, help me get what I can and can what I get and sit on the can. Here's where your Bible comes in. Do you remember the scripture? I'm sure you do. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed, theonoustos. And he goes on to say, it equips the man of God for every good work. Verse 17. So Paul writing to Timothy says, the word of God equips you for everything you need in ministry. Let me ask you this. Do you think prayer is part of ministry? You betcha. And the Word of God is sufficient for all you'll need in ministry, Timothy. It's all you'll need as a Christian. It's sufficient for every good work. Is it a good work to know the Bible and to know God's truth? Yes. Is it a good work? Yes. The Bible equips us for that task. And let me say this. Not only pray prayers God would be pleased to answer... Understand this, don't follow your heart, lead it. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. I can think of a lot of things that are deceitful, and the Bible says the heart is more deceitful than anything on, on your list. It's a deceitful thing above all things. And desperately sick, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You see, What am I saying? Knowing that our hearts are deceitful and wicked, to pray rightly. Now hear this. Pray what God wants you to pray, not always what you feel. Your feelings may say, you know what, I want revenge. Oh God, bless my brother with a brick. No, as you pray the word, the word is the right thing to pray. Pray that rather than your feelings. To pray rightly, pray what God wants you to pray. And that is not always what you'll feel like praying. But You'll say, but I feel like a hypocrite. No, no, no. Uh, you're not a hypocrite. You're choosing to pray prayers in line with God's word and his will. And at your very core as a Christian, you do want his will. Or else you're not a Christian. You want to do the will of God. And pray word-filled prayers. Colossians 3.16 talks about singing the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I would uh, say, like Luther, one of the things he added to his list of the three I've mentioned is the prayer of the psalms. It's a wonderful resource. It's the entire gamut of human emotions. As you continue reading in the Psalms, I believe you'll find your emotion at the moment of prayer found there as you keep reading. There are times when the psalmist is happy. There's a time when, and many times when he's in despair and he looks to God. There's a time when he's angry. There's a time when he's fearful. All of the gamut of human emotions is expressed in the Psalms. How wonderful it is to have the Word of God and pray those same prayers back to God. Many Jews knew the entire Psalter, the book of Psalms, by heart. We're in Psalm 119. Go to Psalm 109, verse 4. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. I want to do that more. I trust I'm stirring in you that same desire to come boldly more and more to the throne of grace. I mean, why pray when you can worry? That's what we do, isn't it? We worry for three days about something, eventually pray, and we find peace, and we think, why did I waste three days worrying? Especially when the Bible says, do not worry about anything. Well, I would not normally worry, but this is a big situation, oh Lord. We tend to worry, but prayer means we're 
letting our requests be made known to God. And there are, in Philippians chapter 4, conditions for the peace of God ruling in our heart. Be anxious about nothing. That's a command. But in everything, by prayer. That doesn't leave much out, does it? In everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and then the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I would say this. Ask great things of a great God. Don't pray little prayers. It would be very sad if the prayer of the elders was, Oh Lord, this year we have this building. Would it be possible somehow that there would be the finance necessary to paint the women's restrooms? Come on. That's it? That's your goal for the year? If you had an audience with the king who owned everything, what would you ask? Because you do. All right, I'm happy. Luther wrote this, The Lord is great and high, and therefore He wants great things to be sought from Him and is willing to bestow them so that His almighty power might be shown forth. He then prayed, Dear Lord, I know that You have still more. You have much more than You could ever bestow. In You I shall never want. For if there were need, the heavens would rain gilders. That's money back then. Be my treasury, my cellar, my storehouse. In you I have all riches. If I have you, I have enough. Luther went on. He said, The petitioner should not only present his desire to God, but he should bolster it well with particulars. What he means by that is be specific. If you've got a certain sum of money you need, be specific. If it's a certain thing you're after, be specific with God. He put it another way. The petitioner should give motives for his reason. He should seek by every indication and argument to move God to fulfill his wish. I love to pray this. Lord, get yourself glory. Do something so stupendous that everybody around will have to say, only God could have done that. Be specific. In your prayers for others, Spurgeon said this, No man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. And people tell me, John, I pray for you. What a, what a gift that is. On a journey back from California, some time back, I first gained an insight into the prayers of the other elders here at King's Church. For more than two hours, the list of every member was brought out and prayer was made for each member by name. And there was pause between the prayers. Uh, is there anything specific we know that's going on that we can be praying for? It was an amazing thing. I was driving, but inwardly I was just so excited because I was realizing this is how they were praying, whether I was there or not. They were praying every week for every member. To misquote Romans 3.11, what advantage hath the Jew? What advantage hath the member? Great in every way. You see, at King's Church, there's not only the teaching ministry of the church, but there's the prayer ministry of the elders. Some people only listen to King's Church sermons online. What are they missing out of? Well, they're missing out on the service, the divine service, the worship service, the whole thing God is orchestrating. He's told us how to approach Him, what to approach Him with, how to come, how to be involved, and all of that. But I would say this, if someone is not a member, they're missing out, although we would pray generally for everybody. We would, and we do. There's a specific responsibility us as elders have in praying for the flock, that God has entrusted us with. And this is what you miss out on. If you only listen to sermons, you miss out on our prayers. For some, that might not mean much. But if you understood how those elders prayed, you'd say, I want to be part of that list. <laughs> I want them praying for me. They're praying the Word of God over me. And they, weren't just, they were just, not just saying, Oh, God bless Jimmy. Amen. Turn to Psalm 23. I would encourage you to do this as a prayer for yourself. And what I'm going to do in the little remaining time we have, just walk through a little bit of this. No, I can't do even a little bit, but we'll, we'll, we'll start it. Psalm 23, 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What I do with this, as I'm praying the word back to God, and we could have gone anywhere, but this is familiar to us, is say this, Lord, I thank you. You're my shepherd. You're my personal shepherd. That's why I'm not going to want. I'm liable to be fearful right now, but you're my shepherd, and I know I'll have my needs met. You'll, You'll meet me where I am. I shall not want because you're my personal shepherd. It's not just any Lord, it's Yahweh, the one who is. It's God himself. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Oh, thank you for reminding me who you are. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Lord, I'm going through turmoil. I'm going through strife. I'm going through so many things right now, but I thank you that you're laying me down in a green pasture. You lead me beside still waters. In your presence, I can find your peace. That's where I run, Lord. He restores my soul. Thank you. My soul's being restored right now as I'm praying. And you're leading me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Not for my name, but for your name. You're going to look good as you bring me through this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no matter what I'm facing, even if it's death itself, I don't need to fear anything because you are with me. See what I'm doing? I'm praying the word back to God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sometimes the rod, it's the rod of correction. Sometimes it's the staff. Sometimes you're pulling me out of the hedge. Sometimes you're warding off my enemies, but you're active as my shepherd. And that's my comfort. I can't see you, but I know that's what you're doing. You're comforting me through your word. Verse 5 speaks not of a heavenly table, but an earthly one. In heaven we'll have no enemies. But right now, Lord, I thank you. You're preparing a table before me, right in the presence of my enemies. It's as if the war's going on. Enemy is a war-like word. Enemies are all around me, but it's as if you says, all right, pause, stop. I'm building a fence to uh, shield my, my saint, my, my sheep right now. Come to the table right now, though a war is going on. I prepared a feast for you. When the Lord prepares a feast, uh, you're going to be richly supplied. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Father, I thank you. The Lord is my shepherd. You're refreshing me. You're giving me the Holy Spirit so that I might understand your truth. And as I understand your truth, that, that joy is bubbling up within me. My cup is overflowing. And you've changed me from being despondent to being overflowing with joy just in a moment as I've meditated on the fact you're my personal shepherd. And I've just walked three minutes with this psalm. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Not because I deserved it. It's the opposite of that. That's what mercy is. It's undeserved. It's grace. It's goodness. And here's the best part. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are David's words. David's words. And he encouraged himself in the Lord. I want you to encourage yourself by reading the word and praying it back to God. That's an easy passage. Let's go to a couple in the New Testament before we wrap this up. Ephesians chapter 1. Pray the prayers found in the Bible, Old and New Testament. There's two I recommend. I've prayed thousands of times for myself, for my kids, for my family, for the church here. I pray Ephesians 1. 15 through 23, and Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. They're God-inspired prayers. Do you see what I said? Pray the prayers that God is pleased to answer. Over and over, I've prayed this for myself, and I just simply personalize it. So I'm going to read it as if it's a prayer for myself. And I could insert your name. I probably have. What do I pray? Look at verse 17. Father, I'm praying, I pray now that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give me a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. When I started praying that prayer, I didn't know what the spirit of wisdom and of revelation is, but you know what? God does. And he's been answering that prayer since a teenager, and I've grown in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of my heart enlightened, that I may know what is the hope to which he has called me, 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Pray this for someone else. I pray that Susie's heart, the eyes of, their, of Susie's heart would be enlightened, that she would know what is the hope to which God has called her. See what I'm doing? I'm personalizing it. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards Susie, towards me, whoever I'm praying for, who believe according to the working of his great might? Turn to chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant me to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner man. You start praying that over yourself and over your family, you see what God does. So that Christ will dwell in my heart through faith more and more. That you be rooted and grounded in love. May I be rooted and grounded in the love of God. May I have strength to comprehend with all the saints, not by myself, but with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Little children age three, four, five, they may not be able to spell the word love, but they know love when they see it. You may not know all of the ramifications of the theology of love, but you'll understand it in his presence. You'll understand his love as God answers this prayer. And then verse 20 as we go there. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. Lord, I thank you. You can do what I'm asking. What a relief that is. We're not praying to some junior lieutenant in heaven who can't get the job done. We're praying to our great high priest. We're coming to God. And he's able to do everything we're asking. But he's able to do more than we ask or think. You know what? I can think pretty, pretty big. How about you? He's able to do bigger than that. <sighs> so you're able to do what I ask or think. You're able to do more than I ask or think. You're able to do more abundantly than I could ask or think. And you're able to do far more abundantly above all I can ask or think. Pray big prayers. One of the more common encouragements I receive from members of the church here is, or are, statements like this. I've grown more at King's Church in the last year than in decades elsewhere in the Christian church. I want to just say this, that's a direct answer to prayer. The prayers of Ephesians 1, the prayers of Ephesians 2, 3. See, God uses the teaching ministry, and my desire at least is that you would be the best served congregation in the valley in the world. That's what I want you to have. I want you to have access to the choicest food of the master. I want that. Boy, do I want that. But I know unless the Lord opens hearts, you can be under the sound of his word. And I would say, whenever a teaching goes out, whenever a recording's made, whenever a sermon's there, go hear it. That's for you. That's for your building up. That's, for, that, that's pastors and elders, whoever is teaching at the church, who spent time in the word of God saying, this is what the word of God says, and this is what it means, how you might apply it. Make sure you don't treat that casually. Have this heart. This is where I'm planted. This is where the elders, the shepherds are under shepherds under God and I'm receiving the teaching of the church. Be there. Be under the spout where the glory comes out as the old timers used to say. But prayer comes and says, Oh God, as this word goes out, would you make it plain? Would you unveil your truth? Would you open hearts that the Christian doesn't just hear it and forget it, but it, it transforms their life. So that at the end of the service, they say, I've been fed. I've, I've understood what I never understood. It was, it was kind of clear. It was a little bit fuzzy. But now it's like, how did I not see that? How did I not see that in the Word of God? That's a testimony I hear every week. And that's because it's an answer to two things going on. The Word going forth and prayers being prayed. Amen. Amen. And God gets all the glory. It's a consistent prayer. I would say this about Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3. Pray this often for yourself. 
The best way you can help others get out of a ditch is not fall in the ditch yourself. Stay on top, on, ground, on the ground, you know? And then you can pull someone up. The best way to help people with knowledge of God's word is you be an informed Christian yourself. Pray it for yourself. It's a prayer God delights to answer. Now, as I wrap this up, you might say, John, 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 this is just so simple. Yes, exactly. It's not complicated. It's a simple way to pray, pray the word back to God. Exactly. It is that simple. Would you join me in making this a part of your prayer life to pray the word back to the God who sent it? Join me in this. You'll be blessed. So will all those who know you. For they'll be receiving your prayers as one who prays what God delights to answer. Most important thing we ever hear is the gospel. And I want to ask you this before we finish. Do you know it? If someone were to wake you up at two in the morning, could you articulate it? Someone has just been stabbed in the street outside your house and understands you're a Christian and they've got a dagger in their back. This is an illustration of Ray Comfort. It bears repeating. And they say, I've got three minutes to live. How do I get saved? Don't say, well, I've got a CD on that somewhere in my house. I've got a book on this. I've got a DVD. I, I, I can find you something online. No, know the, know the gospel yourself. Know it. So that you can say to that man, that woman who's dying, God so loved this world that he became a man and lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, died an atoning death on the cross, is raised from the dead and is now at the place of all authority in this universe. And if you'll repent and believe in him, turn from everything you know to be wrong. Come on, I've got 30 seconds to live. Call upon the name of the Lord right now. He'll save you. If you turn from your sin and come to the Savior, know that. Everybody around you can understand that truth and come into the kingdom of God. Be a sharp instrument, a sharp tool in the, mind, in the hand of God. God will bless your life. God will actually send people to you who maybe only have three minutes to live. Why would he send you to someone who's just confused? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the simple way to pray. Lord, as we understand these things, would you write this truth on our heart that we might heed the words of Hebrews and come boldly to the throne of grace. Find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Unveil this to us. Write it on our hearts now and forever. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.